the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in. Good day. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Show is kind of, you know, about money and finance and insurance and investing and things that you need to do better, things that you've done okay, but times have changed a little bit. So on occasion, I cross over into inappropriate areas, (laughs) I hope. I like to try to keep things as simple as possible for you. Like if I were to try to talk to you about stocks, there's some ideas of really simple. When you when you buy shares of a company, you become a shareholder, and they give you a certificate that says you're a piece of the ownership circle. It's kind of that simple. Now, it does get complicated when you start going like, why doesn't the stock always go up? Why doesn't the stock uh, always make me money? Why can't my stock be like Facebook or like Apple? The world's most expensive stock that I can find right now is probably Berkshire Hathaway at $200,000 a share. It doesn't matter how expensive your share is. A lot of people make really big mistakes, and I would refer to them as not rookies, but um, simpleton mistakes where if you'll come up to me at a seminar and go, tell me, I'd like a $3 stock. Do you have any 3 4 $5 stocks? So... I'm like, why? And they'll say something insane like, well, it has a bigger chance of being a home run for me. And there's no difference between a $300,000 stock and a $3 stock. Clearly, if one costs 300000 you want it to go to 600000 over the next 7.2 years. But if one costs $3, you want it to go to six, year, six bucks over the next 7.2 years. Now, I can see how your imagination can ruin that. And going smaller is easier. You know, if you're a... A 10-pound weakling, it's pretty easy to become a 15-pound weakling. But to go from 10,000 pounds to 15, like that, that might be more difficult. I could see how people would think that. But it's the number of shares outstanding. When talking about stocks, there's a simple concept like rule number one, don't lose money. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one. When you start losing money, it upsets you. And you, you say, now is not the time for me to be investing you know, I, the game is getting rigged against me. It's not. You just feel that way. The pros and cons of owning a stock, it's positive, like when the company's profitable. I like to write down four or five reasons why I like a stock. Is the company earning money is one of them. Is the company sharing that money with me with dividends where it pays me every 90 days, just like it pays their CEO every two weeks? Is the stock price generally moving up or down? That's a positive, right? So uh, can they continue to grow their wealth? Once there was a time. 
when Coca-Cola was just Coca-Cola, and then they started doing Diet Coke and Dr. Pepper. Well, they didn't do Dr. Pepper, but they started doing all these other alternative beverages. So negatives on a company are sometimes the reasons to sell a stock or almost the exact reasons why you bought the stock, but opposite, right? If the company is struggling to keep their share price moving up, that's a bad sign. If the company's not successful to earn money, the stock can fluctuate, right? So sometimes you could lose money pretty quickly in a stock, and it does feel like a psychological, oh, I can't believe that just happened to me. And it did. So um, that's why you have to try to limit it in the first couple of years. So people like myself will say things that are like, oh, once you have $100,000, you should go buy one individual stock. The amount of people that will actually do that, <clears throat> I understand, are like maybe 10%. People will come up with reasons not to, right? But people will lose their head. They'll, they'll get caught up in the, the whole game of how can I become wealthy? Like the, I see the people on TV or I see you know stock traders buy, 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 sell, sell, sell. And you see the, the exaggeration of it all. Let's just be careful. That's the negative on stocks is when you lose money. It, it changes your psychology on 401ks and everything else. One of the toughest parts about money is putting together all the pieces. And I just talked a little bit about the pieces of stocks and what that means to me and maybe ultimately kind of what it means to you. One area that you have to kind of master, and this is probably my least favorite, is the budget. That's that monthly plan, whether it's January or February or March, the gray months, as I like to call them. But mastering it, you know, you, you have to start looking at your budget first and foremost. Step one, what's your salary? Step two, what's your spending? Step three, start writing some of the stuff down. Step four, break the spending into categories. For most people, a budget can be something pretty simple. of your money should go into things that you absolutely essentially need. 20% should go into either your debt or your savings for the future. 30% could go into flexible issues. But keep in mind, I just gave you a pie of 50% essentials, 30% flexible issues, 20% financial tools where you pay off your debt or you invest. And that's not really the truth about your profits, right? Because your earnings get taxed, and you got to make sure you pay the taxes. So this is all after-tax dollars. 50% go into the essential stuff like cars, transportation, food, shelter. 30% goes into flexible issues like eating out, charity donations, shopping. You don't have to do it. Well, I guess you don't have to do any of those, Right. So that's a budget. And then inside your budget, you can start looking at things where you go back in time and go, okay, I didn't get enough money put in my financial properties, you know, my debts, my investments. But I did have a Starbucks latte at $3 a day. That's $1,095 a year. Or tap water, 2 or $3 a day, or $1,000 a year. So now the tap water does cost money, but not nearly as much money as a plastic bottled water. And I've seen people get really creative with their, you know, 
their budget by getting water at work, you know, things like that. And I'm not saying water your yard while your neighbor's away. <clears throat> not a bad idea, but that doesn't make for a good neighbor, does it? So, but, uh, yeah, so th- let's talk about budgeting. So that segment, I talked stocks and talked budgeting. I could talk paying for college. I could talk student loans, uh, liquidity. You got to understand all, just a couple concepts on finance and you'll, they'll take you far. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. And don't forget the weeknight replay at 7. Of the crown. Dilly dilly. 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 Can I get a little what's up? Really? Is that still out there? What's up? Or taste great, less filling. Taste great, less filling. Watching game at the bud. What's I don't know which one I like more. Dilly Dilly or what's up? Do you remember Spuds McKenzie? The reason I bring that up is that sometimes things do change, and I want to talk a little bit about change right now. Um, there's been a lot of stories recently. The New York Times did one last week that Silicon Valley is over. They basically talked to a uh, tech investor who was in Detroit, and she goes, wow, this is lovely here. Like, look at all these downtown buildings, and look, we don't even have this in San Francisco. And, like, it was kind of noted in the story that, like, people in the Bay Area kind of get caught up with being people in the Bay Area. And they kind of get used to things, and they forget that sometimes things do change. Um, and I, I wanted to start with beer commercials, but what we're seeing now, Tony, and I'm talking with Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com, and this 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 upsets me a little bit. And you're going, does it really upset you, or are you just saying that because it's good television or good radio when you say that it upsets you? Um, so I saw the story this week that San Francisco is losing more residents than any other city in the United States, creating a shortage of U-Hauls. So if you were to rent a U-Haul to go to Vegas, it's going to cost you about $2,000. If you were to rent a, a U-Haul from Vegas to San Francisco, you know what it's going to cost you? 1000 100 100 okay. So it's all about supply and demand. People are moving out of here pretty damn fast. Um, and I'm like, okay. And then I saw the story, San Francisco housing is so expensive that middle-class workers are moving into dorms with shared bathrooms. And I'm like, that's a compromise. Because it's, it's saying, you know... Here's a 35-year-old person who's making $90,000 a year who's living in a dorm style. You know, you get a private room. They ha- they pay for someone to come change the toilet paper and put soap in the kitchen and stuff like that. Um, set up game nights. It's a company called Star City. Um, it's a little less than renting your own apartment, but not much. But to me, that's a compromise. Okay, now here's the jump, and tell me if you're with me. I would never want to be a 35-year-old making compromises or 40-year-old making compromises. But I get it. I'm with you on that one. Um, you see that you know that company in Houston who flies their attorneys from Houston to San Francisco. They charge billable hours while they're on the flight. They rent an office here. They're like, we're not going to play into the game. They're, they're like, we're not going to compromise. Um, okay, so do you remember back in the start of the first real estate boom in 2000s where it just seemed like the standards went down? You worked with a, a mortgage lender who... 
honestly, if you were to put water on him, it would have gone straight off his body. Like he was, <laughs> he was a slicky, oily guy. Like none of it's going to get absorbed under his skin. Um, he knew he would look at you and go, how much do you make? And you would answer, you go 150. He goes, no, no, no. Next time I ask that question, you say 250. 250. Yeah. Um, so compromises started getting made with the truth. People who liar loans started becoming popular. It, it, for the record, that all originated on the lender side, where we would literally sit in the office with a stack of files and just wait for our lenders to walk in the door and go, what do you got for us? And we'd pass them the file and he goes, I can do this, I can do this, can't do that, I can do this, I can do this, can't do that. Uh, they would also come in and train us on like what products would make us more money as opposed to what would help the client more. So th- th- that has definitely changed that's done a whole reversal, okay. uh, you know, with qualified mortgages, ability to repay and, and things like that. But I think we got into a housing crisis in 2006, 2008, because the buildup, we were making way too many compromises with quality, with honesty, with product. And I'm asking you, do you see the compromises people are making in the Bay Area? Like maybe we have hit a top of the market when people are willing to live in dormitories. For, for when, the yeah. So for the, and I'll start off first by saying for the record, uh, that's one of my top reasons why I don't think there's going to be any kind of big downturn if there is because of the, the way people who, uh, the owners that ha- are in houses now and the way they've qualified for their refinances and their purchases is completely different than it was leading up to 2006 and seven. So I'll start off by saying that, but yes, I, th- I do think people are making compromises, but I also think that news is, is, it's like talking about new home builders. New home builders represent like a very small portion of the United States, but yet, you know, everybody goes, oh, I want to talk about new home sales and new home, you know, contracts and all that stuff when it really isn't that big of a picture. The majority of the people that we see in the Bay Area are, are, are doing well. They're, they're making good money. They're well employed. Um, they figured out how to work with their self-employed taxes. They've, they've talked to their CPAs. They've talked to their loan officers and they make things work. Now, the sacrifices that I, I don't like seeing people make are, you know, are you going to be 35 or 40 years old? And you're thinking about planning a family, but you have to live in a shared, a shared dormitory type of place. Isn't that what you did in college to when you went to college so you could get a job to get out of that? Uh, and now, you know, but, but that's part of the whole, everything's changing, Rob. Uh, we're seeing places in San Francisco and New York and Chicago that are, that, uh, developers are building massive buildings where they have communal places to eat and, and to shower and, and go to the bathroom and, um, and hold parties. But then you go back in your little 800, 500 square foot room and that's where all your computers and personal stuff is. And you watch TV and go to sleep. Um, and you could do that maybe when you're single or a couple and, but it's it's such I think such a small part of the market that I think that story is kind of bloated a little bit. Yeah, and I'm not saying that millennials aren't willing to settle for less because clearly we know their eating habits are changing the restaurant industry and the grocery industry. Um, so maybe they're willing to say, "I'm willing to live in a 400 square foot room." As maybe long that's as why we're shared kitchen. That's maybe why you drive up 101 and all you see are condos going up. It's because that that's people are looking for. You know what's surprising me? It's not the, the condos that freak me out. It's the hotels. I think people are going to get freaked out about it. the traffic. It's already bad, and you're adding 800 units there, 800 units there, 800 units there. That's 800, you know, what's that, 2,400 uh, more cars. But uh, they don't have cars. They have uh, Ubers and flying vehicles and drones taking them to work. <laughs> That'll be fun, right? Well, no, I, what I'm trying to get at, and let's see if you have an opinion on this. 
do you see a correlation where we got into a housing market bubble where people shouldn't have been buying houses in 2006 with loans that they should never have qualified for? Um, is there a parallel with people are making sacrifices that we should never, ever make? Because once we make them, we can't go back. Um, and it becomes kind of a norm. We're seeing a little bit of that on the mortgage side where lenders go, oh, we'll go up to 55% debt ratios. We'll let you borrow $2.5 million with 10% down with no mortgage insurance and a 680 credit score. So, yeah, we're seeing that. Um, but those are the people who are making money. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Checking to see if we got Patrick O'Hare. Briefing.com. Mr. O'Hare, how are you today? Hey, good morning, Rob. I'm doing fine. It's good to be back with you. It's good to be here and uh, good to have you and always good to talk. Earning season is one of my favorite things on Wall Street. It happens, I guess, every 90 days or so. And uh, it's kind of to tell the truth and a lot of S&P 500 action this week. Uh, how are we doing so far in earnings season? Uh, doing great, really, uh, by by all accounts. Um, got double-digit earnings growth across uh, just about every sector, and um, and you've seen the uh, the earnings growth estimate go up as the uh, early portion of the reporting period has unfolded. Uh, according to facts, that right now S&P 500 earnings growth expect to be about 21 percent in the second quarter versus uh, 20 percent uh, on June 30th. So we're moving in the right direction there. Um, and uh, you're seeing uh, that reflected uh, today, certainly, or since yesterday's close, where you've had you know, a number of companies uh, across various sectors uh, check in with some better-than-expected results. So while the market seems to be uh, honing in on the idea that Alphabet has catalyzed today's uh, rally effort, um, it, there's also more to the story in that I think the, the rally effort is underpinned by the fact that there's been some broad-based earnings beats that, that truly reflect uh, the, the earnings power of corporate America right now uh, that's been helped along by the tax cuts, uh, certainly share buyback activity, but importantly, uh, a pickup and end demand that's showing up in very strong revenue growth. I seem to have shares of Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, Apple in my own account, and I seem to talk about them all the time. Um, are we talking too much and focusing too much on the FANG stocks of Facebook, the Amazons, the Netflix, the Googles, and Apples? Well, I, I, it, the two are probably related, I think, because they are so widely owned. Uh, uh, you get talk, They get talked about a lot, right, because that's what people want to know about. Um, but I do think there is some concentration risk, uh, you know, within that contingent, right? Um, obviously, they're doing doing great, a uh, lot of business momentum there uh, for each of those companies, and, uh, and they've, they've provided investors with, with a reason to stay invested in those names. Um, but the fact that they do seem to be so widely owned, and everyone is always saying, you know, this is what I do own, i.e., these FANG stocks. Uh, it, it raises some concerns about, um, you know, what happens in the event, you know, you run into a, a market event uh, that leads to some emotional selling because, in a, in a period like that, uh, you, you don't necessarily get to sell what you want, you sell what you can. 
and uh, obviously there's a lot of liquidity in those names, and, and those would be targets in any type of you know uh, market dislocation. And so um, I think investors, you know, they obviously need to be cognizant of that, and 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 the timing of when you know they might need cash. Um, so, uh, but but fundamentally speaking, I mean these companies are. Are really hitting the ball out of the park still. Even Netflix, for that matter. Granted, the you know they had the subscriber shortfall uh, in the second quarter, but you know that was primarily the, the company's own error in terms of its forecasting. I mean, there's still really strong growth there at Netflix, but um, I'm not suggesting that it's a, a quote good value. Um, but uh, but there's a lot of business momentum there that certainly keeps the excitement going. Uh, around that name in a bull market where interest rates are still relatively low uh, and there's still a lot of cash on the sidelines. We have a president who is tweeting today that he's excited about tariffs, that tariffs are great. Um, Something feels wrong to me just talking about a president who's tweeting, but it is what it is. Tariffs are the greatest. Um, The the tariff trade talk war is heating up. Thirty-four billion worth of Chinese imports, and it's targeted sixteen billion more uh, to come online soon. Uh, how does this whole tariff thing end, in your opinion, on Wall Street? It, it is the great question. Um, it is, isn't it? I wish I had a. Def- <laughs> I wish I had a definitive answer, but you know, again, it's one of those things too that I worry that there's a little bit too much complacency in the market about how this thing gets resolved because. Uh, the consensus view seems to be that uh, things will work out, you know, that not to get too worried and too overly concerned that you get into a full-fledged trade war. That's certainly possible, right, that, you know, things do get get worked out. I, you know, just worry that, um, that we're not allowing for the possibility of a, of a you know, of a negative outcome. Um, the president has certainly sounded very resolute in terms of his dealings uh, with China. And uh, and you heard this this morning that you know China is now implementing a you know a new uh, proactive fiscal stimulus plan to help offset you know a slowdown there and and the effects I think related to these to these trade issues and and I think if for someone like President Trump you know he probably sees that uh, as a sign of weakness really and gives him an opportunity to you know perhaps press the pedal to the metal there in terms of forcing China's hand uh, on these trade matters. And and uh, unless he gets the concessions he's looking for, um, doesn't seem likely to let up there. So, um, so that's bothersome. Um, and I think with respect to uh, our dealings with the European Union, um, tomorrow's meeting between European Commission President Juncker and President Trump is going to be really interesting to see how that unfolds. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, the outcome of that meeting or, or the sense of whether things are moving in a favorable direction on, on uh, tariff issues there uh, could could be an inflection point for the market that helps drive it to new highs here, or conversely, if things do not go well, and that's the perception of it, uh, could really dial things back in a hurry. It certainly is an interesting year, to say the least, and it's not even, it's barely halfway over, and we got elections coming up. Um, should, we, should we be worried at this point in time? Because I keep, on one level, I go, politics is coming up, there's going to be a lot of sound bites, there's going to be a lot of drama, there's going to be a lot of negative energy. But on the other hand, I'm like, I saw that jobs report on Friday, and it was pretty good, and 
I go jobs greater than rhetoric. Uh, are, are you looking forward to the elections? Maybe eventually being <laughs> over and given like it's just a there's there's never a dull moment in our business. Yeah, well, recently, you know, I, I, I recently um, saw, I think it was an NBC Wall Street Journal poll uh, looking at the president's approval rating, right, and um, seemed to get relatively low marks on matters related to trade and Russia and immigration. Uh, but where he scored better was uh, on the handling of the economy. And, um, in, you know, rightly or wrongly, a lot of people, and perhaps the majority of people, I, I, I think, tend to vote based on their economic position or their feelings of job security and 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 uh, and whatnot. And um, and so uh, to think that you know the Democrats are going to kind of steamroll through the midterm elections and really take control of that of uh, you know of Congress. Um, is a question that's being you know put to the test. I think with the strength of the economy, and so it's going to be a really interesting midterm election. And um, and there is the potential. I've heard the current of thought here that you know were the Democrats to you know win control of Congress, that it would be a a negative factor for the stock market, which has clearly responded quite well to the uh, policies implemented by the Trump administration. Um, so I do think there is a little bit of risk of that. Just purely from a sentiment standpoint and, a, and perhaps a short-term um, standpoint. But um, but it is shaping up to be a very interesting midterm election that needs to be closely watched. It's always entertaining, to say the least. Um, but it is earnings season, so we always got that to look forward to every 90 days. We get President Trump on the sidelines. Uh, we get a little bit of China, a little bit of North Korea. Anything else that you're working on uh, that maybe we should be aware of as we start to wrap up the segment, Mr. O'Hare? Don't forget uh, to throw Iran in that mix now, too, Rob. Um, Fair you know, Obviously, the, uh, the saber rattling is picking up there, so something to keep an eye on. But, yeah, I'm in processing mode right now. we got a lot of big things coming out this week and happening this week, and uh, just trying to take it all in, and uh, we'll come up with some, uh, some perspective in my big-picture column on Friday. Sounds good. Thanks very much. It's Patrick O'Hare. I start my morning every morning with his page one. Uh, today's topic started with the S&P 500 earnings. Um, good stuff. You can find it at briefing.com. Unbiased international and domestic market news, commentary, and perspective. Uh, Verizon, Lockheed Martin, United Tech, Biogen, 3M, TD Ameritrade, Sherwin-Williams, Eli Lilly, JetBlue, all had nice quarters. It's kind of crazy when you can throw that out there. And uh, something Mr. O'Hare talked about in that segment was also Apple, Amazon, Facebook, and Microsoft. They seem to have this gang, this fang gang. Gosh, you got to say that kind of slowly, right? A fang gang mentality to it. Um, Apple, not Apple, I'm sorry, uh, Alphabet comes out with a pretty good quarter. And... Apple, Amazon, Facebook, and Microsoft all trade higher in, in, in the markets. What's good for one's good for all? Not quite, because earlier this week we had Netflix, and they reported not much pop there for the other guys. But anyhow, I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. 
Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. Things change on occasion. You probably remember Ford as a child, right? Ford Motor. They've announced essentially the death of the sedan. Now, it's not giving a ton of information about their transformation going forward. But they're going to give us a little bit more tomorrow, Wednesday, when they report their earnings. So the automaker Ford, which it's kind of iconic, right? Do you you remember the big icon it was as a child? They have an issue on their hands where they tend to make SUVs and trucks and are really good at making profits with them. And then they have some things that don't make as much sense for them to continue to make forever and ever. The Fiesta and the Taurus. Now, how about the Ford Mustang? Should that stay or go? I dated a girl once who had a a 69 racing Mustang. And uh, iconic, right? So a little bit of a turnaround bid going on right now, trying to reduce capital. The sedan killing action shows that Ford is not afraid to rock the boat. And sometimes that kind of leadership is important. Car buyers in the United States have gravitated towards pickups and SUVs. Seven out of the ten cars sold fall into that category. So Ford is going to be taking a little bit of a gamble. Will it work or not work? So it's not been a good year for the stock price. It hasn't been a good 12 months, six months, seven months three months. So Ford's the only automaker still stuck in the red in the past three months struggling. And we know the jobs report in the United States is good, so we know that they should be doing their stock should be performing a little bit better. So look for a big shakeup on Ford. Hey, which would you rather do? Buy Bitcoin or Really throw your money away and go for the Mega Millions. (laughs) Like, what a game, huh? Which would you rather? Children go through a phase in life where they go, Dad, who do you think would win? A Stegosaurus or a Tyrannosaurus? And no matter what you say, it's going to be the wrong answer. So which would you rather have? A Mega Millions jackpot lotto ticket? Or... $2 $2 of Bitcoin. <clears throat> I think the $2 of Bitcoin would work out better for you probably than the Mega Millions. So that's going down tonight. Another Mega Millions drawing. And it's kind of interesting because people don't really start losing their mind on playing the lottery until it hits $500 million. It's as if $300 million is not worth your time. You're not even going to wake up to, to go after a million and a half. Because that's not, how far is that going to last you in this day and age? But the Powerball jackpot. So no winner on Saturday. Now the next big drawing is for the Mega Millions. $533 million. Uh, still way off. Way off. From the $1.5 billion big jackpot one on January 13th, 2016. So, are you going to play? Are you? Are you? Um, probably not. Trump's turning up the heat on trade tariffs. Calling tariffs the greatest. 
Yesterday, there was a tweet that, you know, basically told Iran, knock it off or we will shut you down. All in caps. When your president is tweeting in caps, this is the 21st century. Whoa. Interesting study came out recently on our habits of spending money. And I think this is one that it's a little bit of a stickler in a bad way. I'm not going to be the guy who, you know, tells you don't ever have any fun. But how much do you think you're paying for your Netflix or your Spotify or your Amazon Prime? Survey comes out that tells us that we're basically underestimating those expenses. The tune of 50 plus percent. Now think of some of the other subscriptions you have. Not just Amazon and Netflix and Spotify. Think about some of the other ones. Some of the dating apps, the cable television subscriptions to things like HBO. Then you get Wi-Fi subscriptions. So we're spending a lot more than we think. On average, consumers spend twice as much as they think they do. We think we cough up about $110, $111 a month on those services. But it actually is more like $237. Which, again, over a month, yeah, it doesn't sound like a lot. That's just another $120 more. But let's do that on the year, and suddenly you're at you know $1,500 more. And that could be your retirement money. So subscriptions are debts, right? You have to pay them or they get them cut off. It's one of the business lessons that you can learn about life insurance. It's fantastic. The business lesson is there that you pay for it while you're alive. And if you stop paying for it, you get nothing. And if you die, you get nothing. So you only win it by dying. And if you don't pay every single month while you're alive, you lose. That's not a scam, but subscription model of monthly payments. Very, very, very powerful. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.